Hello and welcome to Rise Up with Orion's podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on this beautiful day. I'm so excited to welcome uh, a very, very um, important expert chef that is joining us today. So let me introduce you to Andrea Sprague. She's the founder and CEO of The Holistic Chef. She's an extreme expert and treat for us to have, has, have today because she has cooked in just about every health supported diet that is out there. She is a certified Walls Protocol health practitioner and specializes in cooking the Walls Protocol. She helps clients learn how to live well after a food allergy diagnosis. She shows them how to navigate, navigate the grocery store and cook delicious and satisfying meals with, without common allergens. I'm so excited. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. And I appreciate all the time and expertise you're willing to give us today. Great. Thank you, Tara, for having me. Yes. Andrea, tell us a little bit, or I can call you chef, however you want me to address you. I know that's how they do it in the kitchen. So um, tell me a little bit about kind of your journey to becoming a chef, your health journey, and a little bit more than what I just caught, what, what I just started with. Sure. Uh, similar to a lot of people who end up kind of in a healing um, profession, it starts with my own illness. Uh, going back, uh, gosh, over 15 years ago, I felt like I had arthritis in all of my joints. I had daily headaches. Um, I felt so unwell all the time. And I was only in my thirties. And every time I'd go to the doctor, they'd say, nothing's wrong with you. Just get some exercise and eat better. And the daily popping of Excedrin just told me something different, you know, and, and it just didn't make any sense to me. And finally, um, I went to a nutritionist that a friend had recommended and she said, oh, you really should go off of all gluten and all dairy. And back then, you know, 20 something years ago, we didn't really hear much about this. You know, celiac disease was something very few people had. Food allergies were not mainstream like they are right now. And um, I was so ready for change that I would do anything to just see if it worked. And so I did everything she told me. And I went off gluten, dairy, and then a host of other things that she recommended. And within two weeks, my headaches were gone. Within about a month, all the joint pain was gone. And I started rapidly losing weight. I was, you know, another 30, 40 pounds heavier than I am right now, at, at which just, and none of it made sense. And so without changing anything else about my lifestyle or diet, weight just started coming off of me. And just my body was just so happy. Um, and it just opened up this connection of food and health to me that I had never experienced before or even understood. And so that just made me hungry for knowledge, for learning. And I started going to cooking classes whenever I could find one, which there weren't any gluten-free <laughs> classes in, you know, 2002, 2003, like there just wasn't. Um, there wasn't, you know, a gluten-free menu at any restaurant back then, but I enrolled in a nutrition school in New York city. Cause I was living on the East coast at the time and just, it opened up my eyes 
to this whole other world of wellness and what food can do to either make us not feel good or, uh, or to help us feel good. So um, I had a corporate job at the time. I had a great job. I loved it. But this just changed my life. And so it took me a few years, but I finally quit my job and went to culinary school full time to um, learn this whole new way of eating. And then ever since then, you know, over 15 years, I've loved just turning it around and helping other people go through what I went through, but like changing that learning curve and just shortening it up for them. Oh my gosh. What a story, which is so funny too. And I know I, I spoke to you a little bit about this, but it was a, it's a similar story to my husband as well mm-hmm. is, you know, until probably about four years ago, he was like, you know what? something is wrong. And I was like, yes, something is wrong. What is happening in our house is not normal. And so I did a very similar kind of experiment, um, you know, rather than going to a nutritionist, since I have so much of the background, I was like, we're just going to do a little experiment similar to what you did cutting all gluten out. And like you, he very quickly dropped pounds and pounds and pounds of, you know, whether it was actual weight or just swelling in his intestines, which I know is also a thing. Um, you know, and and totally turned his life around. But what we found frustrating and similar to you is, you know, why do doctors not have an answer? Why do we have to, you know, bring this up outside of the medical world and do these experiments and go to the, you know, the specialized nutritionists and dietitians, you know, it was very frustrating for him because it's been a lifelong battle and it took an experiment, you know, by his health nut wife to fix it. So A major confusing part can be that the symptoms are different in each person. Mm -hmm. And so um, what showed up as skin rashes and joint pain and headaches in me might show up as something else in someone else. Mm -hmm. But the fact that we don't even look at food as a first thing to play around with and get curious about is Mm -hmm. a puzzle still. Yes. Yeah. Super frustrating for sure. Um, so I love your journey and, you know, man, you are welcome in my kitchen anytime because man, you will fit in perfect here. Um, so how do you start? Obviously you, you did it for yourself, but how do you help other people determine what foods they might be sensitive or allergic to where, where's that journey begin? Yeah. And I mean, even for myself, starting off with, um, gluten and dairy, it turns out that those really are the two that are it for me. Like I've played around with dairy for years and there's always just a little something that's not quite right. But I cut out a lot of other foods that I slowly brought in that I don't seem to have a problem with now once I kind of healed my digestion. So a lot of times when I talk to people, you know, the first thought is, oh, I love my bread. I love, oh, I don't want to be gluten-free. That's horrible. That sounds horrible, right? That's the first thought. But if you really sit down, and this is what I do with people, if they're not sure what food it is, or they're not even sure if it is food, is if you really pay attention to how you feel after you eat, most people already have a sense that there's some things that don't work for them, whether it's their um, belching, you know, they're burping afterwards Mm -hmm. and indigestion, Um, And sometimes it's things that people don't really notice until like you really ask them to think about it. If people really sit and think about how they feel after they eat, they probably already have a suspicion about what food it is, right? So we start there. We start there with um, looking inward and 
getting curious about the food without worrying about, oh my God, what am I going to have to do? What oh, I'm going to have to go gluten-free or I'm going to have to cut out my favorite foods. Like don't think 10 steps ahead yet. Just do you already have a suspicion about a certain food, right? We start there. Then if people are willing to take that food out for a week, take um, change up, like think about what meal it is that you don't feel good afterwards and change it up. Don't eat that food or that meal for just a week and see if anything changes. Um, I had a friend who every morning she would have her smoothie because smoothies are good for you. You know, they're healthy, but there was something she'd always have a headache after. Ah. So for example, with that meal, what we do is go, okay, well, which Thing is it? Is it the whole smoothie or is it one ingredient? And we took out, um, we took out the banana and then like tried that for a couple of days. We took out something else, tried that for a couple of days, changed the milk that was in there. Turns out it was the banana was giving her headaches. And the minute, Interesting. so when I work with people about this, it's, are you willing to play around with it? and see how you feel when you change up certain things. It just, you have to have a little patience and play around with something. And I mean, the big common foods are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, right? Those are the sugar. Those are the big ones. Those are a great place to start because in most people, those are the foods they have a problem with, but sometimes it's something else. And so just having a little curiosity and being willing to take something out for a week, try something else for a week and just play around with it is really a great place to start. Yes. And the banana is such an interesting one as well. You know, again, it doesn't fall within those categories that you were talking about. So again, without, without doing that little experiment in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, would never have realized that. So I think that is an amazing place to start. And a lot of the time when you talk about trying to figure out the FODMAP, right. You know, we've talked about that on our podcast before, And it's such a long-term strategy. So I think what you just said is a little bit more, do I dare say digestible for people. You're talking about a week. You're not talking about three to four weeks and then starting very slowly to introduce things back in. I love what you just said is it can be a really, really easy transition and it doesn't have to be this long, long long-term thing. Well, and if you don't find the answers that you're looking for, then it is that longer process. If it's not a quick and simple change, if something still isn't right, then yes, it could be something like doing a FODMAP or an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. Um, That is something I help people through and that's a longer process. Something like Whole30 is a good example of an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just being, being willing to look into is it a food? And then which food is it? Right. And, you know, another reminder on that is, you know, knowing that your symptoms, the things like headaches, you know, are very different than my husband's bloating and, you know, diarrhea problems that were there. I, he'll listen to this and laugh. Um, But again, it's, it's one of those where it's so personal. And again, you know, we always talk to our friends, family networks, health coaches, and it's so important that we're all different. So (laughs) Yep. That is, that is great to remember as well. So, um, let's talk about kind of the next step. So now we figured out, for example, that, you know, a banana is the deal. So it seems pretty easy that we could just take that banana out, put a different kind of fruit in our smoothie. 
But what if it's a little bit more complicated with that? And we now know what the problem is. Um, how do we know if we should admit it, omit it, cut down on it, and kind of how to change that up for our, our life? Yeah, so say it's something a little bit bigger, um, something a little more common in all the foods, like, you know, say it is gluten or sugar or dairy, right? They're in everything, mm. corn and soy or another thing. They're kind of in everything. So if it's one of those more common foods, the first step would be to, um, like we were just saying, like get curious, eliminate it, see if that's the food that is, you feel better once it's gone. And sometimes it might take a little more than a week to know that. And then, um, getting rid of it for at least 30 days, right? So the standard, the gold standard for an elimination diet to really, really know if it, that's the food um, is about 30 days to just get rid of it and avoid it. It gives your body a chance to heal, to calm down. You're really gonna know if a lot of the symptoms go away, but it takes a little while for your body and inflammation to calm down. Then if you bring it back in and you eat it for a day and you see how you feel and like some symptoms come back, okay, now you know it's really that food. Um, so then it gets into how do you change up what's for dinner, what's mm -hmm. for lunch, what's for breakfast. Um, that's breakfast, I think, is one of the hardest ones yeah. for people when you've had your toast or your bagel, cereal. <laughs> Um, your oatmeal, you know, all those things. Um, I still struggle with traveling, you know, like what do you have for breakfast, especially in a hotel when you go down to the continental breakfast and it's just all gluten. Yes. Um, so then, I mean, there are so many foods that are out there that are naturally free of these foods, but they didn't come out of a package, mm -hmm. right? So yep. my breakfast this morning was um, I scrambled a couple eggs with some vegetables that were left over from dinner last night. That pretty easy. There, there was nothing in there that I'm missing. Now, my old habit would have been to have toast with that. I'll say that, um, there are so many great gluten-free products out there, but they're not health foods. <laughs> like... They're wonderful for a transition, mm -hmm. but going out and replacing everything in your kitchen, like, oh, I mean, there's really great gluten-free pasta. Jovial is a product I really, really love, that brand. There's pizza, there's bread, there's, um, there's everything you can think of now. But if you're having trouble with gluten in general and your digestion is suffering, just replacing it with all of these really highly processed foods you might still not feel well you're because your stomach is still going to have to digest it and they're full of gums and yeah. so i'll just tell you that right now those products are great as a transition mm -hmm. if you really are missing a piece of toast if you're really missing a piece of bread it's a great transition food to help you break the habit but it's not something to eat every meal and every day um, so really it's there, there are so many great recipes, bloggers, cookbooks that are out there that are, um, free of the major allergen foods, you know, um, paleo is a style of, of cooking that is free of a lot of these things. So it really takes kind of overhauling your 
kitchen and you're cooking to find new recipes and new ways of eating and really just trying to avoid those foods for a while so that you can really know, is this a food to take out for a little while because you just need to heal mm -hmm. or is it a food that doesn't work for you anymore and it's more of a longer lifestyle change? Yes. And would you say from your um, experience that, you know, over time things change. So what may be the problem today, you know, 15, 20, 25 years from now, men, women, or children, it can change. Do you see that within your practice as well? Absolutely. Um, someone might feel so terrible and they might have so many symptoms and feel so off that it's really healing to take out a bunch of the inflammatory foods. But then once they've had a few months of like calming their digestion, maybe going and, you know, going to um, getting some support from a, you know, a doctor or nutritionist or something to help them heal their digestion. Some of those foods might come back with no issues. And that's really wonderful. If you work on healing your digestion, sometimes a sensitivity to a food is not a forever allergy. It's not celiac. It's not an allergy. It's that your digestion is so off and so damaged that you just need some healing time. And then those foods might come back to you with no issues. So it's, yeah. but you've got to give yourself some time to heal first. Right. Yeah. On this podcast, we've talked about kind of leaky gut in the past is, you know, this garden hose that just has holes in it and you need to take care of that because you know, the brain gut connection, the, the gut body connection, all of those things. I truly believe that mm -hmm. it's one of the strongest parts and it starts there. Yeah. Um, so when we're browsing, obviously, um, we talk a lot about eating from the ground up, eating those things that are natural, not out of a box, not in the frozen aisle. What are those things as, you know, your expertise, um, do you recommend people look for if they're, you know, flipping over a box and they're looking at the nutrition label, what are some things that they should be focusing on to really kind of pick out those different pieces that may be an issue? Hmm. Well, um, if there's any words that you don't know what they mean or that you can't pronounce, that's probably an area to start with. Uh, when you're going through a healing crisis and you think that food is something that um, is an issue for you, eating the most natural home cooked foods is a great place to start. Things that aren't out of a box, things that aren't already processed. I mean, that's what I've been doing for, as a career ever since culinary school is that's what I do for people is I cook for real food for them. Um, and not because not everybody has time to do this kind of cooking for themselves. Um, you know, and if you can, you know, find yourself a personal chef, uh, it's a great place to start to get to get yourself started. But if you're reading labels and things really get to know if you know which food it is that doesn't work for you anymore, get to know the words that mean that um, I've created lists of what are the words that gluten can show up as mm -hmm. it's not just wheat, you know, it's nope. not just gluten, it's not just rye or barley. What are the words that dairy can show up as? You would never think that dairy can show up in salami or um, a cracker or something as caramel color. 
can be a dairy source. So that's a really great place is like, you know, get on the internet, do some searching, find out all the words that um, can mean that ingredient, whether it's corn or soy, whatever the one that you're trying to avoid. So that when you're reading a label, you can be more informed and know like what those things are. But in general, if you can't pronounce it or you have to look up what it is, that's probably something to stay away from. Yes. Those ingredients that have, you know, 72 letters in next to them, you know, that that's a man-made, man-made ingredient for sure. If you right. can't even pronounce it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so Andrea, one of the things that we recognized in our kitchen, and I'm sure you do as well is, you know, when you find out that there's an allergy or a diagnosis, there's complete overwhelm, you know, how am I ever going to eat out at restaurants again? How are we going to eat at home? You know, what are we going to do for pastas? What are we going to do for, you know, milkshakes if you're lactose intolerant? So I don't want people to suffer, you know, once they figure that out. So how do you help people kind of adjust that for themselves? So this diagnosis, this allergy isn't a life ending misery for them and you can continue to enjoy food. Yeah, it, it really isn't. It doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be full of suffering. Changing up your diet and making this change um, can seem so overwhelming at first, um, but there are so many resources out there and it's part of the, like you were saying, it's part of what I do with my clients. So it can start with, let's go through your pantry and let's see what's in there right now. Get to know what's in there. And especially if there's kids in the house, you know, snacks and stuff, what's a healthier version of what you already have? Instead of like throwing it all away, and then, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, it's two o'clock. I just need a little snack. Most likely there are healthier versions of that exact food out there now. There, right now is such a great time to be going through this because of what's out there. And there's certain things like um, the, I mean, the, the whole plant-based movement right now. There are so many products, so many snack foods that don't have dairy, that don't have certain, that don't have soy. Paleo did a great thing for us in creating snack foods that don't have a lot of the major allergens. I mean, there's crackers made of almond flour now. Mm -hmm. you know, the whole paleo movement really kind of um, created a quite a boom in snack foods. So there are most likely a healthier version of what's in your pantry, right? So that's a place to start. It's not just, oh my God, all I can eat are carrot sticks and boiled chicken. That is not... <laughs> That is not how it is. Um, here in Utah, we have so many companies that are geared towards meal prep that there are companies where you can go and find um, where they're making really healthy and beautiful meals from scratch without a lot of junk, right? So there's resources out there that if, you, if you're not a good cook or you're not confident in the kitchen right now, with this new cooking style, there are people that are out there doing it for you. Um, so then the next thing is, is what meals are you making now that all we have to do is a little tweak to? A little something, you know, what is it that, you know, um, you go in the kitchen and you know you can have dinner done in under 30 minutes because it's something you've made all the time. It's, you know, it's, it's in your core memory but oh, it uses flour or it uses cheese. Okay, so what's the small little tweak we can make? So you could still make that meal, but mm -hmm. 
but you just have a one simple ingredient swap, whether it's using a little almond flour instead of regular flour, mm-hmm. whether it's using coconut milk instead of dairy milk, you know, cow milk. So that's like the next step is what do you already like making that all we have to do is just one little simple change or are you ready to get into the kitchen and do more cooking? And like, do we need to do a cooking class? Mm -hmm. You know, do we need to just get in the kitchen together and learn some new cooking techniques that once you have a few new techniques under your belt, then like the kitchen gets easier too. So, um, Another key to that is also to what are those simple ingredient swaps that if you always were going for the flour before, how do you make a dish without the flour, right? Whether it's a swap of an ingredient or a change in the cooking technique. So you don't even need the flour anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I love to do with people who, especially when it's dairy, when it's no more cheese, that is a tougher transition when you're so used to cooking with milk and cheese. You know, a lasagna pretty much changes um, pretty drastically. So it's easier to kind of stay away from those foods for a while yeah. versus trying to recreate them exactly. Because um, right. I'll kind of say also same thing with some of the gluten-free foods. There's dairy-free cheeses and stuff in, at the store. Um, they're also not great products because they're very processed. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of oils. I'll tell you, the wheat plant is pretty perfect in all of its components. The wheat has the bran and the fat mm-hmm. and the protein. It's a perfect um, plant to make bread out of because of all the components. When you try and replace it and make bread out of something else, there's always other things you have to shove in there so that you get, get the same taste and texture, right? I mean, right. That's, and that's the same thing for cow's milk. Cow's milk has all of those perfect little components that makes amazing cheese. The minute you try and do that out of almonds or cashews, you have to shove in gums and stabilizers, mm-hmm. more sugar, more so they're not great for your digestion. So again, that's another product that's like maybe, you know, once in a while, but not like just immediately replacing it at all, all of it or everything you used to do. Right. Your one ingredient flip really resonated with me as well, because, you know, there's so many when I'm making my weekly list, I typically have a, I have a pretty, you know, it's the same meals that kind of go in a rotation, you know, every couple uh-huh. of weeks, you know, in a different order. But again, you know, in talking about even, you know, going back to the old school Midwest way of cooking for my in-laws, you know, a casserole was a big deal and putting in a cream of mushroom soup or putting in a cream of chicken soup is like standard. But again, to open their eyes up, did you know, there's a gluten-free one, you know, and it is, it, they make these things now, which 40 years from ago, they didn't, but guess what? That one little can of soup doesn't change the casserole. You know, really, you can hardly even tell the difference. So again, something like that really resonated with me because we're all surviving eating, eating gluten-free, even though only one of us has the problem, you know, and it's been a great shift for us and I feel better too. So, yeah. And that's great. Just right there, that example you just gave that only one person in your household has the gluten allergy, Mm -hmm. but the rest of you are eating the same way that he is. And you're just fine with it. 
we're, and I didn't think that we were going to, honestly, I was like, I am never, none of us are going to survive this, you know, diagnosis. Finally, the, all of the wonderful things, but we do treat ourselves to croissants every once in a while because we can sneak it behind the scenes. (laughs) Well, and, but, but that's such a great testimony for anyone who's listening and watching this, that it can work for the whole family. Uh, the people who don't have the sensitivity, they can eat whatever they want outside the house. You know, when like they're out with their friends or out to dinner, like, you know, if you want a croissant, you just, you can go do that. But the meals in the house can actually be satisfying for everyone. It just takes a little adjustment. It takes a little getting used to it. When um, I first met my husband, we were making two different pots of pasta. He had his regular, because he mentally could not like accept eating gluten-free pasta. Then there was one brand, I found it and I made dinner one night and he's like, oh, you know, don't worry making a second pot. And he's never gone back. He's like, oh, this is actually not that bad, right? But he didn't want to give it up. Mm -hmm. And let (laughs) me tell you, when he has that real pasta now, he's probably like, we are just in heaven. But again, on a normal everyday Monday through Friday, we can do those things and it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So talk to me about, you know, a question came through about the sodium content in some of those prepared meals that you had talked about. (laughs) There's, you know, quite a bit of that, um, that comes through the media as well as on those packaged meals. Um, so what about that high sodium content in prepared meals? Is that something that is a reality? Are there ways other companies that are not that way? What's your insight? Whenever it's a prepared meal, um, whenever it comes out of a package, there's going to be a higher sodium content. As long as that's not every meal you're eating, I don't tend to worry about that. Um, the people that I, I uh, work with are doing a lot of cooking at home and eating at home, and that's not every single meal. That's the part that, I mean, sodium salt is not bad for us, mm-hmm. but some of the prepackaged meals can be higher in sodium. But as long as you're balancing it with home cooked meals, in general, it's not an issue. Um, the prepared meal companies that I have seen here in this area, I don't have too many issues with. Um, I haven't seen a problem with the ones that I've checked out. Um, like I really like Vessel Kitchen. They use a little more oil than I would like. But again, like as long as that's not every single meal you're eating, um, you will tend to balance out. Now, I'll go back to that intuitive listening to your body. How do you feel if you eat something and you are like, where's the water? Where's, I need something to drink, right? Like if you're finding yourself super thirsty two hours after, then your body just told you Mm -hmm. something, right? So your body just gave you that that, um, signal that that was a higher sodium meal for you than maybe, than maybe another person too. So like, I really encourage you to do that intuitive listening to what happens to you somewhere between that one hour to two hours after you eat. Mm-hmm. What signals are your body giving you? But yeah, but in general, as long as you're balancing things, I don't have not seen um, problems with that. Yes, that's great. I always get thirsty in the middle of the night for some reason. Mine is like much later, but again, it's the same thing. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I have for dinner last night when I had to fill up my water cups three times in the middle of the night? Um, So yes, I'm with you. So one of the 
theories or one of the, maybe it's a myth. And I, that's why I want to ask you is, you know, eating differently to an allergy is just so much work and it's expensive. Is that a myth? Hmm. If you are buying all of the replacement foods, <laughs> say we're talking gluten, and you go and instead of buying a regular loaf of bread, you're buying a gluten-free loaf of bread. Yes, that gluten-free loaf of bread is higher priced. Mm -hmm. And at first, that used to be because there wasn't a lot of market for it. And so a company to use rice flour, mm -hmm. sorghum flour, tap, those were higher priced items. So it made sense. Now there's so much uh, being bought and sold that I don't, not sure that they have to be higher priced anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but milling, milling brown rice flour was more expensive because no one was doing it. Um, if you go and have a burger out and you get the gluten-free bun instead of the regular bun, there's a dollar surcharge on it. Uh, if you go get soy milk or almond milk at Starbucks instead of the regular milk, there's a 50 cent charge on it, right? Mm -hmm. So in general, it can appear to be more expensive. However, if I go to the grocery store and I just buy a bunch of groceries to make meals at home, forget the bread, forget the soy, forget any of those things, that did not cost me any more than anything else I would have bought. Because my meals, when I'm cooking at home, I don't need those upcharged ingredients. Mm -hmm. I'm just eating real food. Like for example, you know, last night I made a stir fry. Um, I had some ground beef, I had made some rice, um, I had uh, some green beans and broccoli, I sauteed an onion. All of that was the exact same price. Yeah, um, I did use some tamari. Tamari is a gluten-free soy sauce. So, you know, that one bottle is usually about the same price as regular soy sauce. Mm -hmm. So when you're cooking real food, no, the, the cost is the same. But if I go buy pre-packaged gluten-free versions of things, yes, those might be a little more expensive. Yes. And I love what you're saying as well is you're not traveling halfway around the world to get these ingredients you know, for the things that you're cooking on a regular basis. And I'm sure you're cooking it for your clients as well. You're cooking very, you know, normal ingredients that we can get at every grocery store. It doesn't have to be a specialty store. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is so great. So as we're kind of winding up, I love to talk to all of our experts. Two, two last questions. Mm -hmm. One of which is you're probably going to repeat yourself, which is the point um, to give your best, you know, three chef tips to help our community with any of these healthy transitions that you're talking about. So kind of your top three, and then the follow-up to that, which you're welcome to just continue into it, is how people can reach out to you for, you know, recipes and have you come to their home, all the things that you bring to the table. So tell us your tips. Yeah. Okay. Um, my three cooking tips. One is make your kitchen a place that you like being look in your kitchen. Do you hate being in there? Does it feel cluttered? Is there a bunch of stuff all over the counter? Do you actually have a knife you like? Do you reach in for a pot and every time you go to the pot, you're like, oh, I really should replace this. 
If you make your kitchen a place you actually want to be with the tools that you need, you will enjoy being in there more. Mm -hmm. One of the things I do is there's nothing on my counters. Like the rice cookers put away, the blenders put away. Um, things are kind of tucked away. And then when I need them, they come out so that when I go to chop vegetables, I actually have space on the counter. So that's one thing. Make your kitchen somewhere you love being. And if you're not sure what it is that's wrong, that is something I can do with you. Um, if you're not quite sure, yeah, you know, what, what is it that you don't like? Um, number two is start with foods that you know how to cook. Like start with a, the place that's the easiest for you. If you um, are great at stir fries, if you're great at grilling, if you're great at, you know, a certain way of cooking, start there because it's already going to feel natural to you and it's already going to feel easy to you and slowly make little tweaks to it. And then once you feel adventurous, you could task yourself with learning one new recipe a month you know, pick up, I have lots of uh, cookbook suggestions um, for people who write really good recipes and um, their food always turns out well. Um, challenge yourself with buying a beautiful cookbook or a great cookbook and like learning one thing out of it a month. Because every time you teach yourself a new recipe, it's now in here, it's in your memory, it's, it's in your um in, you know, in your knowledge realm, that it won't seem so hard after that. And then um, have foods around that are easy, like have things in your house that you can whip up a quick meal so that it's not, oh, there's nothing. I'm just going to door dash tonight, or I'm just going to eat the pizza the kids are eating, even though I know it doesn't make me feel good. Always have foods in the house that you know are a quick and easy meal for you, that are safe for you. Um, and then what was the second part? Is about me, right? About- Yes, how do we get hold of you? Yeah. Um, again, we're just kind of, we're touching the surface. You have so yeah. much in there that you can offer. So how do we, well, yeah. how do we get hold of you? And absolutely. Um, so my company is called The Holistic Chef. So it's theholisticchef.com. And uh, like we've said, you know, I help people with, you know, actually cooking the meals for you, but I do so much more than that, where if you want to overhaul your kitchen, your pantry, or like we were saying at the beginning, you're not sure what food it is, or you're not sure how to make changes. Like I do that with people where I come to your house, we go through and look at everything in, in the cupboards and stuff, or I make suggestions for dietary changes. Um, or we can do it virtually too. You know, we can do it over Zoom. Um, I'm all over Instagram at holistic-chefs. Um, holistic and like, I've just designed a 21-day email program, a coaching program that'll take you step-by-step -step of how to actually go gluten-free, how to actually go dairy-free. Like I've got all the steps for you. Um, and uh, yeah, email andrea at theholisticchef.com, but just go look, you know, my website's a great place to start with. Oh my gosh. So fantastic. Like I said, I would, I just want you here for all your, your recipes in my kitchen and I'm with you. There is nothing on my counters here. So it would be a clean slate for you to just dig right into. But again, you know, always those new recipes I'm, I'm dying for. Um, so do you have, do you have your own recipe book or do you have a couple of resources that you love for recipes? 
I do. Um, I have created a whole online cooking program, a cooking course on how to cook gluten-free. Some of my best recipes are in there. Um, I do have a, a couple cookbooks. I've got a Thanksgiving cookbook um, and it's a digital download. You know, you download it and you can print it or you can look at it on your computer. Um, I have a snacks cookbook and everything is gluten and dairy free, you know, and everything is low sugar, you know, like natural sugar um, and things like that. And then um, all of that is also on my website. Oh my gosh. So fantastic. Chef, I want to thank you um, so much for joining our podcast today. Like I said, I'm sure for those of us that are at the lunch hour, we're thinking about it now. So I appreciate that. Um, and I'm sure there will be other questions after that I will post your contact information in the show notes for okay. the podcast. But I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And welcome everyone to Circle Back next month. We're going to continue our diabetes prevention series. Um, moving into the movement, the physical activity of that. So hopefully everyone will join back then. And I hope you all have a great rest of your week and weekend ahead. And Andrea, thanks again. Great. Thank you. It was good to be here. Have a great day. Bye-bye.